looked at this as a teaching team, that this relationship exists in a lot of different ways in a lot of different parts of our culture. Um, it exists from parent to child. It exists from uh, in your work. It exists in the ministry without a doubt. And so Make Me Like has been a fun series. In this series, we've been trying to focus as a church family to grow in our faith. And when we grow in our faith, we take different things. For us, it's been the areas of gathering, growing, giving, and going, which are our values as a church. And so one of the things that's been happening, I don't know if you've noticed it, uh, but God has been bringing people to big decisions in our church. People are not only coming to living relationships with Jesus as a decision, but then they're following him in believers' baptism. And if you've not noticed, God has been increasing the amount of people responding, saying, I want to be baptized. In fact, we had two gentlemen get baptized at the men's retreat uh, just yesterday. So yeah, give God a hand for what he's doing there. And so these are the things I see God doing in the area of our gathering. I also see people going deeper in their spiritual growth. We've seen increases in people that are connected to their groups. And those groups are becoming more diverse. I think our people are finally starting to catch on to the idea that really what we're asking you to do is just hang out with people. Hang out with people you actually have a relationship with, people you want to enjoy some time with, get in God's word with that group of people, pray with that group of people, talk about the wins in your life, the things you're wrestling with. And when you do that, God always shows up in the midst of that. So you're growing as a church family, and that's been exciting to watch. We've also been working on our giving. And so giving, we're giving of our time and our talent and our treasure. And one of the things that we felt uh, convicted of as a church family was to replenish the church's emergency fund. And so that's been growing. And so I've got a staff for you. We're about 18. One, I think, is where we were last time I checked, is what we've been actually raising money for to not only fix the boilers here in Seaford, but also to enable the church to respond to the different things that God's been doing. This is kind of like an emergency fund. If you don't have an emergency fund, you've never heard that term, uh, you should definitely sign up for a Dave Ramsey course and learn how to actually work your finances. Every single family and every single church needs an emergency fund. An emergency fund is so that when something happens, you don't go in debt to deal with it. What you're able to do is tap into your emergency fund and be able to respond to those emergencies, but also opportunities when God brings them. So that's happening. That's the update in the area that we're giving. And then going, we've been seeing our people go missionally in all kinds of different ways. And the biggest thing coming up on us soon is actually going to be uh, working with um, not only um, uh, uh, the Code Purple component, which will hit us in December, but also uh, Kevin mentioned it, is Trunk or Treat. And if you've never been a part of Trunk or Treat, it's pretty easy. We pull up our cars here on Halloween, we get a whole bunch of candy, we sugar up every kid in the community, and we pray that they don't destroy it. That's essentially what Trunk or Treat is like. And then I know Wes has been seeing a lot of people come through the, um, the haunted trail that he's been doing, and we've had a lot of partnership there with the students, especially connecting with people. So we're seeing God do cool things through different people's lives missionally. And I, and I can't even go on to tell you all the different areas of partnership that we're talking about right now. So today I want to look at a relationship in the seventh week of this with Elijah and Elisha. Now, if you don't know these two guys, I want to give you a brief background I know not everyone has had the opportunity to read the Bible and read all the books in the Bible. There's a lot there to digest. So Elijah is a prophet. He's a prophet that's a Jewish prophet. He exists in the Old Testament, and he's a prophet that does some pretty amazing miracles in the season that he's in. I think one of the funniest, I don't know if you call it funny, it probably depends on which end of this you're on, uh, but one of the craziest miracles I, that I can think of about Elijah is when he had this uh, throwdown. Does anybody remember the throwdown he had with the prophets of... Baal, yeah, so Baal was a, a, a 
Canaanite God who really had some really big issues. Um, we can go into that a different day, but a lot of bad stuff happened in the Middle East because of the, the, the God uh, Baal. And so there's this moment at Mount Carmel where Elijah is hanging out and uh, they're like toe-to-toe with the brother prophets. And he's like, we're gonna build two altars and we're gonna ask our God to light one of the altars. And the true God's gonna light the altar. And it's hilarious how it goes down. And uh, it's like a crispy critter moment. Like it's, it's bad. So God like lights both altars and nukes all the prophets of Baal. It's pretty wild. And you're like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. Well, that's kind of the prophet that you got with Elijah. And, and then he tucks tail and runs from a gal named Jezebel, which is another interesting thing. But he does all these cool miracles in the history of Israel. And that's why he's one of the most famous prophets in that area. But he had a guy that came alongside of him who becomes like his mentee, becomes the prophet that's gonna take over for Elijah. And it, it's interesting, their names are very close together. They come out of the same root name, but his name is Elisha. And this interesting relationship is uh, profound. I mean, you can read about this in several different books of the Old Testament. But what I wanted to do is pull out one section for you and I today. And it's the section, again, at the end of things. I think sometimes last words or the end of things is a great moment to capture something that God's doing that's unique. And so we're going to be looking at a very specific passage. It's in 2 Kings. If you want to bring up your Bible app or you want to open your Bible, we'll put the uh, verse on the screen so you can follow along in case you can't find it. But it's in 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to look at 14 verses. And what you're going to see in these verses is the last moment that Elijah is going to have with Elisha. And so you get to appear into this relationship and what God does in this mentor to mentee. So starting in verse one, chapter two, again, we're in second Kings chapter two, where the Lord says this, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'll not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord um, has sent me to Jericho. So he's told him again, you hang out here, I'm going to split. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'll not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, hey, do you know that the Lord's going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And then he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'll not leave you. So the two of them walked on. 50 men of the company of the prophets went out and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left. The two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they left, uh, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, 
my father, the chariots of horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. That's a form of grief in the Old Testament. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Isn't this a wild story? I love reading the Old Testament because you're like, dang, this is like wild stuff. I mean, some of the stuff you just read, you're like, what's going on? And so I'm going to break this down in some simple ways for you, but I want to also tell you, there's some mysteries inside of this text that we don't fully understand or have all the pieces for, which makes it a fun piece of scripture to look at, to study over, and to pray over. But here's the first thing I want you to see that I think is there in the bigger picture, is that mentees must pursue their blessing. We, we've been sharing with you now for a few weeks about how mentors are invested in mentees and mentors are doing this for mentees and mentors need to grab different people that want to develop it. But when I look at this text, one of the things that blows me away is that Elisha's like, I am going to pursue this blessing. I don't care that you dissuade me from it. I don't care that you keep telling me to go to, to this town or stay here. He's like, I want a double portion and I'm going to go after it. Uh, a really great commentator, his name's Worsby. If you ever want to grab Worsby stuff, great guy commenting on the Bible. He tells us that at this point that he's been in a relationship for 10 years. So it's a mentor to mentee relationship that now is a decade old. That's not a short amount of time. It's not like he just showed up and says, man, I want a double blessing. I want, want, want your ministry. I want to have part of this. He's got 10 years invested in this relationship. And when I looked at this, I'm like, okay, God, what, what do you do with some of these things? And, you know, names are important. Locations in the Bible usually mean something of greater depth. I'm not sure I've mined out all the truth that's here. So you should mark this in your Bible and pray over it and see what God says to you. But I want you to know that some of the names, in verse 2, we get the name Bethel. And Bethel means house of God. So after they leave Gilgal, they're going to a place that represents the very house of God. In fact, it's the very first place, if you know the Old Testament, where Abraham, who's known as the father of faith, who leaves everything to go to the promised land, it's the first place that he pitches his tent. The first place when he gets into the promised land, he says, I'm going to put up a, a tent here. And then he has some altars that he puts up. And that's why it's called the house of God, this town, this place. And so it's interesting, the first place that they go is a place where they know that God has dwelt where God is. And then in verse four, you get Jericho. Jericho's interesting. It means fragrance is the best translation I can find for it, fragrance. And when I'm thinking about this and, and Joshua and, and all the different characters that have been connected to the place of Jericho, I think there's a fragrant offering in this city where they get to say, wow, look, this is one of the places that God has acted on behalf of our people, that he showed up and did miraculous things. So the first place was like, I know we meet God in this place, but this is how we saw God at work in our lives. This is where we see that fragrant thing that God is doing and we can actually get a hold of that aroma. And then they end up in the Jordan, okay, the Jordan River, which actually means to flow down. That's pretty fancy, right? River, flow down, that's, that's what it means. But I think bigger than that is that's the gateway to the promised land. If you get to read the Old Testament, you'll see multiple times in the Jordan when it's divided, it's a gateway. It's a gateway to come into God's land and to connect with the Lord. So I think there's a purpose that's happening there. And the other thing when I was mapping this out that just kind of floored me was it's not like a short trip. 
If you map this out, it's between 15 and 20 miles. 15 and 20 miles. We think of that, we're like, well, Dag, that's like a car ride, right? They're walking that. And they're walking it according to the text, if you read it carefully, in one day. So you can imagine the length and the conversation that is happening between Elisha and Elijah. I estimate it's probably a good seven to eight hour walk that they had where they're going through and they're having these conversations. And I love this out of the text when he says, but Elisha said, as sure as the Lord lives, as with you, I'll not leave you. Y'all know if you've taken Growing with Grace, which is a, a class on how to study the Bible, that if something is repeated, it's what, church? It's important. And so this is a repeated phrase that happens over and over in this text. And what you see is he's pursuing his mentor. He's pursuing the blessing. I'll never forget the first time this conversation of pursuing the blessing came back to me. I was hanging out with a guy who had invested in me for many years, a guy named Bill Sterling. He's a pastor who now lives over on the East Coast. And, and Bill and I were hanging out and, and just having a cup of coffee. And he's coming to the end of his ministry, kind of like Elijah is. And, and I'm just, you know, if you've got a mentor, you've got a hero in your faith, or you've got someone that's made that kind of investment in you, you can't wait to spend time with them. Like, you, you know you're going to get something big or good. And the interesting thing about Bill that day was uh, he was actually reflecting back on 30 years of ministry. And he was asking a deep question. He was asking the question, did I really make a difference? He was at a low point. And I found myself pursuing him in that moment to encourage him. I'm like, I wouldn't be in ministry if it wasn't for, for you. The investments you made, the time that we spent, when we prayed together, when we shared our lives together, when we went and, and did all kinds of different things together as men. And I learned what it meant to be a pastor and a man of God watching this guy in his ministry. And I think about the pursuit that I had to have of Bill. And that's a positive example, I think, of what we have to do still today. You have to go after the men or women in your life that you go, I want what they've got. There's something happening in the model of who they are. And if you're the one that's the younger one, whether it's younger in the faith or younger physically, you have to go after that. You have to chase that down. You've got to want it more than anybody else wants it. Look what it says. When they crossed, in verse nine, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what you want. Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. He said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. What he was actually asking for, by the way, we'll come back to this in a second, was he was asking for what was the firstborn son's right. That's what he was asking for when he said that statement. That comes out of Deuteronomy. We'll come back to that. But I also realized he, was, he wasn't asking for double his stuff or double his miracles, or double his reputation. He was asking for a double portion of the zeal, the passion that was inside of Elijah. And I want to give you a negative example of where I didn't get this one time. Susan's grandfather, you've heard me talk about her pup-up Charlie, was probably one of the best guys I've ever met when it came to sharing about Jesus. I mean, this guy was a nut. I wish y'all could have met him. He would go to gas stations. He would go to anywhere you can think of just to share about Jesus. I would run into people. I would be up in Pennsylvania, Virginia, all kinds. I'd run into people that Pop-Pop Charlie had led into a relationship with Jesus all over the place. This guy, just all he did, he took 70 mission trips to Haiti. I mean, he, all he wanted to do was tell people how Jesus had changed his life. And he was so super excited about it. And there, there was, without a doubt, a type of anointing, if you've ever heard that word, this this aura about the guy and how he would share his faith. And um, I remember even thinking and praying, and I want a piece of what God's done in this man's life. 
Like I want that passion, I want that zeal, I want that ability of boldness. I mean, Pop Pop Charlie would walk over to a gas station, you'd be pumping your gas. God help you if the crosshairs of evangelism were placed on you and Pop Pop Charlie was in the room. He walked over and said, do you know Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? I mean, he would just drill you until you're like, either get out of my face because I'm going to shoot you or I'm interested. I mean, that's kind of where he was. He was known for filling up the tubs and baptizing people literally on the same street. They come to know Jesus at the gas station. He's baptizing them down the street in somebody's home. And that's the zeal he had. And I remember thinking, I really want that guy to bless me, lay his hands on me and say a blessing over me. And I never asked for it. I never got around to it. And he died before I could get it. So I've got the positive example of Bill that I was able to have that with. But in my same life, I've got a negative example of a guy like Pop Pop Charlie. I'm like, I wanted that. And I so wanted to grab hold of it because I wanted that in my life. And I think for you and I, if we think long enough, we might find people like that, both a positive and a negative example. Or maybe there's someone in your life that you're thinking you need them to lay their hands on you, to say that blessing over you. The second thing that comes out of this text that I see is this. There are some things that are beyond the mentor to give to you. We're going to ask for certain things to the person we, we love and we want to pour into our lives. But there's some things, it's beyond them to give to us, isn't it? And you see that in this. When he says in verse 10, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it'll be yours, otherwise not. What he was essentially saying is what you've asked, I can't give to you. I can't give God's double portion to you. That's for God to give, not for me to give. And that's why he said, you've got to see me when I encounter God and this whole thing goes down. And the reason he's asking for a double portion, if you want to write this down on the side, Deuteronomy 21, 17, says that the firstborn was to receive a double inheritance. And so what Elisha was asking for is, my relationship with you is more like father to son, mentor to mentee, and I so desperately want a double portion of the zeal and the spirit you've got, which is my entitlement, is what he was saying almost, as the firstborn. And he was going to go after it. He was going to wrestle him down. Don't you notice the other phrase that's repeated over and over and over again was, hey, you stay here, I'm going here. You stay here, I'm going here. You stay here, I'm going here. And every time that happens, he's like, no, I'm going to come after you. And I asked the question over this text and I didn't get an answer. By the way, I want to encourage you, church family, when you ask a question of the scriptures and you don't get an answer, don't get discouraged. Just keep praying and asking and ask other people, have you got any light on this? What have you read? Like, because I'm reading this and I'm like, man, this is so goofy and weird. Have you ever done that in the Bible? It's okay to say something goofy and weird in the Bible. So I'm reading this and I'm like, why would Elijah say, stay here, I'm going here, stay here, I'm going here, stay here. And then he finally crosses the Jordan and then he looks like, what the heck do you want anyway, right? Like, what, what is it you want from me? And he's like, I want a double portion. And then he says, if you see me when I go, you're going to get it. Well, I'm like, well, he would have never even got there if he'd listened to you in the first place, right? Isn't that weird? Like, if you just stayed everywhere I told you to go, he didn't even have a chance to get it. And the only thing I could think of when I looked at this is like, I don't have the answer to that. But what I do see is this younger prophet who's like, I don't care what you're saying. I'm going to go after what I know that God's called me to. Not even the person that's mentoring me can take me from the thing I know that God has asked of me. And that kind of, whoo, I was like, wow. We need some younger men and women that'll go after something like that. Regardless of even if we discourage them. The other thing I thought about is maybe Elijah would just stink and having a bad day. You ever been there? As a mentor, as a coach, as a leader, there are days, I'm just gonna be blunt with you. I'm like, I don't wanna talk to people. 
I don't want to see people. The phone is going on silent and you're like, you didn't answer my phone. I'm like, I didn't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to anybody that day. I just want to sit in a deer stand. I, there might even a deer went by. I wouldn't even shoot it because I don't even want to deal with it. Like once you all know once you shoot a deer and you're hunting, right? That's when the work starts, right? I don't want to deal with that. I just want to sit here. I just want to absorb this moment with God. I'm having a bad day. You ever been there? I just need the peace of God in that moment. We, we just came out of that. We just came out of that. The men's retreat of Dan and I were talking, and Pastor Dan over here, we both came down in a bad mood. You ever been there? <laughs> I was in a bad mood. I'm like, ah, come down here, hang out with a bunch of dirty, smelly guys, and got an air mattress. Thing. Outdoor shower? Are you kidding me? Like, I'm just thinking all this stuff. Okay, okay. I didn't say it because I knew Pastor Danny would say, you're such a snowflake. Okay, I didn't want to hear that either. <laughs> Set up, okay. So I was like, but I just was not in the mood. And then we get there and then you start hanging out with a group of guys and a group of men who love Jesus and want to grow. And next thing you know, your heart starts to get melted. Your heart starts to get changed. But I was not in the mood. The leader's not always in the best of moods. And sometimes it's up to the person who's being mentored to press the leader. Like, it's okay. We're not perfect, and Elijah's not perfect. I was thinking of this, and I preached on this ironically. This is so funny. My last message at the men's retreat was Galatians 2.20, which I didn't plan to preach on, and I didn't even know I put it in my notes today. But here's, here's why this comes to my mind. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son who loved and gave himself up for me. This is what I'm seeing in Elisha is in that moment, he's so abandoned to what God's done. He knows that it's a moment of death. And I was thinking about Elijah as well. He's come to the end of that journey and he knows that Christ in him is all he's got and they both want the same thing. They really do both want the same thing. The older one is kind of at the end going, I'm ready to meet the Lord. I don't even know what it's going to look like because he doesn't, I don't think he knows what's about to happen, which I think adds to his mood. You ever been there? He doesn't know exactly how God's going to take him home, but it added to his mood. And Elisha doesn't know what's actually going on. He just knows I got to be near this guy because we're both pursuing the same journey. We both want to know Jesus. And I look at this as a leader. There's a humbling moment for me, and I hope it's a humbling moment for you if you're a leader or if you're a mentee. I cannot offer you anything good. I really can't. If you were to come to me or you come to any leader that's a phenomenal leader and you were to say to them, I want double what you've got, it's not something we can give to you. It's not in our power to give it to you. But what we can do is we can offer to you the one who has blown our life up in a way. We can offer to you Jesus. And then when you, if you lay hold of him as the mentee and you lay a hold of him with the same zeal as the person that you are so impressed with, you will gain a double portion of Christ. It's, it's inevitable. If you've got that zeal and you've got that passion, and that's why to me, the Christian faith, if you've never heard the gospel, the good news that we talk about so often, it's why it's so good. In every religion, you look to a leader who's gonna give you something or they're gonna tell you all the rules you have to follow. And if you'll follow those rules, then you'll get that thing. Whenever you hear that from a church leader or a spiritual leader, run. Because they really don't have anything to offer you. One of the greatest Christian theologians I ever read said this, and I think he's right on. 
He said, Christianity is one blind beggar who has somehow found the bread. And they're so in love with the bread that they found that they just want other people to come and partake in it. The bread they found is the living bread that came down from heaven. It's, it's Christ. He's the living bread that came down from heaven. And when you want and you're that hungry and you go after it, all we want to do is hand him to you. We just want to give him to you. Because he's not ours to give. We can just say, he's here and I can funnel him this way. And if you lay hold of who he is, that's incredibly good news because it can't be taken from you. You see, what the leader gives you can be taken from you. But what you go and you appropriate from yourself that the leader's been chasing after, that can't be stolen from you. And that's good news. That's why I love, it says here in verse 11, as they were walking along, talking together, they're shooting the breeze, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appears and separates the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father. In other words, my daddy in the faith. The chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. We're not always ready for that, are we? So in other words, this is why this is so important for you and I to hear and really get a hold of. The person you most admire in the faith, the person you most admire because of their spiritual life is one day gonna leave you. One day they're gonna go to heaven. One day their life on this earth will be done. One day they'll move from this address to that address in heaven. And by the way, Jesus was the greatest example of this if you've never read that. Here he is, he has all authority in heaven and earth, he says, has been given to him, it's been granted to him. And what's he do? He splits. He says, I'm going to the Father and I've given to you now all you need for all the power that you need to see people come to Jesus, to come to faith. And when he does that, it's called the Great Commission. He shows you and I that one of the things that we do often is we look to the vessel of God's grace and until the vessel is removed from us, we don't tap fully into the source, fully into the power that's there. That's what this is teaching us in this relationship, but it's also teaching us in our relationship with Jesus. So when we're honest and we think about the relationships that God has given us, a lot of times we place unfair expectations on those leaders. And what we really should be doing is looking to what aspect of Jesus is alive in their life and how does God want to give me a double portion. And the third thing I see from this text is this. Sometimes we just don't want to hear it. You've been there? <laughs> I just don't want to hear it. <clears throat> Sometimes you'll hear from a leader who's giving you truth and is telling you what's going on. And you're like, I just don't want to hear it. I love in verse three, it says, the company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and said, hey, did you know the Lord's going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elijah said. And essentially he says, shut up. Okay, then just in case he didn't get it, he comes back to a different town, verse five, and he said a repeated phrase again, exactly the same, means it's important, and he says again, stop talking about this. He's just not ready to hear about it. Uh, let me tell you something. I know in recovery, denial's a bad word, right, Danny? Uh, denial's not just a river in Egypt. I know that, but did you know in grief, it's not the same. In grief... When you're really grieving something and you're in denial, did you know that denial is an actual safety mechanism God stuck into your life? 
sometimes we're just not ready to process the pain of something. Denial is a defense mechanism in that for a season. Now, if it keeps going, then it becomes unhealthy. But there's a season by which that you're just like, I'm not ready to deal with that. And it's okay to tell someone, I ain't ready to talk about that. I'm not ready to deal with that. And that's what's happening right here. He was not ready to learn and to know that his master, his hero in the faith was gonna be taken from him. He's like, I just don't wanna hear it. We have to emotionally prepare ourselves sometimes for the hardest things in life like that. Let me give you an acrostic that I was coming up with that may help you process grief and process when you're actually going through that season of I'm not sure what to do with this. I'm not ready to receive this. This is something I was just playing with. And if you want to write all the side, just write process. And here's the process I think that could help you as you go through just not wanting to hear about something or deal with it. First thing is pray to connect. Pray to connect. So pray, that's your first P, to connect. To connect to who? To God's heart. Pray, open your heart. Ask God, hey, this is something that I, I'm not sure what to do with. I just want to connect with you on this, Lord. I'm not even looking for an answer at this point. I, I just want to connect with you. Then the R is retreat to hear the voice of God. Here's something I can tell you. You will not hear the voice of God in the midst of the busyness and craziness of your life. Where you will hear the voice of God is when you retreat to spend stillness with God. However that looks in your life, you need to pray first to connect to the heart of God. Then you need to retreat to hear the voice of God. That's the R. The O is this, own how you feel. You can't own how other people feel. You can only own how you feel in this situation. And you got to own it. You got to be honest with yourself about this is how I feel about this loss, this grief, this situation, this departure of this leader. You got to actually, and then you need to confess your emotional state to God. That's the C. Confess it. Like be real with God. One of the worst times of my life when I was grieving was when my brother died and God and I had some knock down, drag out confession moments of how I was feeling about that situation. And I was real with God, but I had to get honest with my emotions, own it, and then I had to confess that to God. Didn't matter what the logic was, didn't matter what the reason was, I had to confess my emotional state. And then here's something that is actually opposite of probably what you've been told all your life in church. People will tell you, well, if you're hurting or if you're not stable or you're having issues, you shouldn't serve. I'm going to tell you the opposite. Engage in ministry. Engage in a ministry. It's amazing to me how when I, not don't over-engage, engage in a ministry, okay? As I engage in a ministry, how I connect with the heart of God. He begins to shape and change my heart on this issue. Did you notice what Elisha did after he tore his clothes in grief? He smacked the river and went back to ministry. He smacked it and got back in. He went on. And then the last thing, that's two in the process piece are this. Sow a seed of faith based on your grief. Look into your grief, what you're struggling with, whether it's the loss of a leader, loss of a loved one, and take what's going on in that moment as a seed of faith that you don't fully understand and plant it in another person in some way. And as you sow that seed of faith, then wait to see his faithful promise. See his faithful promise. I believe that God moves in the midst of that. We don't want to hear something when we're not ready to hear it. If we pray to connect, retreat to hear, own how we feel, confess our emotional state, engage in the actual work of ministry, sow a seed of faith, 
in another person, you will see his faithful promise in some way manifest. And that's exactly what happened in the life of Elisha. He didn't get it all, he didn't understand it all, but he began to move in that way. And as he moved in that way, he saw God do something incredible. So I just want to encourage you. That was something, it's a weird acrostic, very Baptist of me, but I like acrostics, all right? So this week, here's what I'm asking, you know, I want to lead us into a moment of reflecting and, and responding to God, is would you double down for a double portion in your faith and in your life? Would you double down for a double portion? And what I mean by that is look again to be reviewed uh, this last verse. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he went back and he stood at the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and he struck the water with it. He was still chasing after the double portion, but he was believing, he was sowing a seed that God was about to do something. He says, where now is the Lord? Do you hear him? It's so cool that he can question God in this moment. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He said, or he asked. But when he struck the water, it divided to the right and left, and then he saw God show up in the middle of what he was questioning. So what kind of seed or risk is God asking of you today? I'm gonna ask our band to come back up and ask Chris if he would come and uh, play some keys for us. I wanna lead us into a moment of real reflection before God as uh, we, we close out our service. And I want you to think about what kind of seed or risk is God asking of you in this season? And one of the ways I'd like to lead us in responding to God is through a psalm. We'll put it on the screen for you if you want to look it up. It's Psalm 126, and it's four verses. Psalm 126, two through six. And I want to use this as a moment of reflective prayer for us where you get to pray and just cry out to God in a personal way. And the first part of this psalm, which I think is so connected to today's message is this. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. So I want you to reflect on what kind of things has God already been doing in your life? In what ways do you see the goodness of God? Because Elisha saw the goodness of God in his life. This is what made him pursue the double portion. And let's just spend a moment in reflection giving back to God through prayer how he has blessed us. So let's go to prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this moment. We look at your word, this psalm, this song that you've put right in the scriptures and you said how you have blessed us that we need to declare that back to you so that we might know and be filled with the joy that you've put there because of your goodness. Father, we take this moment and we let your people pray and cry out to you to tell you the good things that he's done. Would you cry out to him? feel led, even say it aloud. What has God done in your life that's so good? A new career. Father, we thank you for how you go before us, even the things like our career. We thank you for that. What else has God done in your life that's been good? Dealing with pride. Oh, Lord, we thank you. It's so hard to be humbled, but in the humbling that we receive, we find you and we find peace. God, we're so thankful for loving family. Family that just reminds us that we're loved, even when we're unlovable, that they're just there for us. 
somewhere in the USA, you know, Kevin said at the start of the service, Lord Jesus, that we're in a place where we can worship freely, openly, without the fear of persecution. Lord, thank you for being born in a nation. And when we pray in that moment also for those that need that freedom. God, you restore what's broken. We're thankful that when we can't figure it out, we can't restore it, that you do it through faith. And you do it based on not our merit, but just your love for us. You heard a new purpose in sobriety. <laughs> Both connected together, Lord Jesus. Um, you give us purpose all the time. You reinvent it, you reshape it. And for sobriety, Lord, you hold us to it. You bring us to a place where your goodness holds us to your faithfulness. Fourth verse says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. In what ways has God provided for us? What ways has he provided for you? Cry out to him. How has he provided for you in the hardest seasons of your life? Mm. Father, thank you for being tangible. Sometimes we're so overly spiritual that we forget that we can actually sense your presence like we sense the wind on our cheek among us and we can sense you in the lives of other people and in direct connection with us. As Tony prayed at the men's retreat, I hate it when you undo me, Lord, but I love it at the same time because I sense you in my life. How else has God provided for you? Testimony. Father, you, you uh, bring into our lives a story that's beyond our capacity. You fuse your gospel, your good news into our life and then we've got a story to tell others. It's no longer about us, but about you. Feds us. Lord, thank you for how you feed us in your word. Thank you how you feed us physically. You provide our meals, you provide our finances, and you provide the word of yourself that feeds our soul. your anointing flows like the river Jordan down to us if we would just step into those waters Father allow us to step into those waters so that you might provide for us your presence in an anointing way that draws others to you verse 5 says those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy in what way are you right now, church family, sowing a tear? In what way are you the most wounded or hurt? Is there an area of your life that we need to cry out to God? Where is that? Say that again. Healing. Father, there are people in this room that we're not only crying for, but we're absolutely broken for, that need a healing from you in one form or another. And Father, we 
pray by the blood of Jesus that they would receive the healing that you prepared in advance for them. I pray for the encouragement that they will receive as they wait on you. And thank you for those who cry alongside of them as they go through cancer or they go through a dark time and they need that healing. talk about a tear to sow. One of the hardest relationships is to understand parent to child or child to parent. And when that relationship is fractured or broken, it hurts both and it hurts the family in a way that we can't understand. Lord, give us the tears to weep and to come before you in that area and allow those tears to rejoy as you become involved in the midst of that relationship. Show the parent how they can love like God has loved. Show the child how they can love as Jesus has loved. Show them how to sow into one another even when both might be unlovable. And through that, bring joy that we can't imagine. Vengeance? Addictions. Father, thank you for those right now that are dealing with an addiction that there's a, a pattern or a habit in their life that they feel like is out of control and that it just keeps coming back like a cycle over and over and over again. Let us cry with them, weep with them, and go alongside of them to work the hard process of knowing that we cannot fix ourselves, but you can, and we are ready to let you. Let the tears shed over those difficult relationships bring joy one day of recovery addiction verse 6 says he who goes out weeping carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them I ask you to do something just for a second that might be very difficult for you but if there's someone near you that you know that they've been going through a hurt that they've been going through a difficult time, I'm gonna ask you to sow that seed even now in this moment, that you would go to them and you would pray for them, you would pray over them, and you'd pray a prayer of encouragement for them. I'm gonna give you a moment of time just to do that. If you know someone here that you know, that you love, that needs that, move now and respond to the Holy Spirit.
told you that I didn't get to um, to receive that blessing from my grandfather. You continue to pray if God's asked you to pray where you're praying. But what I realized is after my papa was taken from me, I could go to the source and still get the double portion. So today, as we get ready to sing, as we get ready to close our service, we're going to sing a song. And if you're that person today that you need a double portion of God's blessing, listen carefully to the lyrics. Stand as you feel led. Kneel as you feel led. But at some point, if you want that blessing, reach out with your hands for it. There's something about our physical posture before God that we sense God's blessing physically and tangibly, Scott. As you feel led, you respond to the Lord as we sing this last song. Still, there is a river 